This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. Maybe you heard the news. Today, the Judiciary Committee spent all day with Brett Kavanaugh and witness Christine Blasey Ford talking about Kavanaugh assaulting her sexually at a party when she was 15 and he was 17. Later in the show, we'll speak with Sarah Posner of the Nation Institute iFund. But first, historian Rick Perlstein, he's the award-winning author most recently of The Invisible Bridge, The Fall of Nixon and the Rise of Reagan. Before that, he published the classic book, Nixonland. It's a bestseller picked as one of the best nonfiction books of the year by over a dozen publications. His work has appeared in The Nation, The Late Lamented Village Voice, Rolling Stone, The New York Times. Politico called him chronicler extraordinaire of American conservatism. Rick Perlstein, welcome back. Hi, John. Well, it's been a very long day for us uh, and for you. Let's start with... This morning's events, what did you think of Christine Blasey Ford? Uh, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> I feel completely gutted. I feel like, a, you know, like a steamroller just rolled over me and, you know, sulfuric acid poured on top. I mm. mean, it's just, it just combines so many of the toxic and radioactive and poisonous things about our civilization in 2018 and in, in such a coordinated and combined way that it's, it's, it's hard for me to just kind of even formulate my thoughts. We had in the morning Christine Blasey Ford, completely believable. Pretty much everybody agreed, even the, even yeah. the Republicans did. You know, Go ahead. You know what struck me the most about it was, from my perspective as someone who studies the Republicans, is, yeah. is, is just how incredulously inconceivable it seemed to, um, well, to sort of the, the, the prosecutor that they, you know, had kind of doing their bidding, but all the Republicans who were, you know, kind of commenting on it that I followed on Twitter, how inconceivable it seemed to, to them that someone would do anything in politics from any other motive other than partisan venality. Yeah. Just the whole concept that she could have been this sort of guileless citizen who was trying to do the right thing was just so outside the the frame of reference that the Republicans had set up. And, so you don't you know, think... You, you very plain in the afternoon... Yeah, you don't think she was part of a, a, a Clinton conspiracy to seek revenge for the Ken Starr well, investigation was, that sought to... It was really striking when they just kept on asking her questions that were clearly, you know, intended to establish some kind of train of uh, coordination with, with Democratic operatives. And she, she literally had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. I mean, she's like, I don't understand the question, right? So, yeah, uh, in a word, no. It was pretty clear that when she contacted her representative in Congress, it was well before Kavanaugh had been nominated, and her goal was to get word out so that Trump would nominate someone else, i.e. another right-wing Republican. Right. Who would... And then we get to sort of like my, my dominant emotional frustration with the afternoon outside of you know the fact that this guy is getting away with awful things and the, the histrionics by the awful Republican senators that could barely stand to watch, but they had such a compelling case to make to press, meaning the Democratic senators, that she so obviously was acting in a way that was intended to save the country from Brett Kavanaugh ever being nominated. That yeah. could have been a point that they could have hammered again and again and again. And I don't believe I heard the Democratic senators uh, bring that up once. 
I think you're right. So what is the Republicans' explanation for not believing her, aside from the fact that she's part of a Clintonian conspiracy to destroy his life to take revenge on Ken Starr? You know, who knows what these senators you know, actually believe. Of course, but, but I know, mean, officially. Cultural, what? Right, within the cultural frame. Sometimes I say kind of Ronald Reagan saw the world in terms of good guys and bad guys and never the twain shall meet. So, you know, he, he defends Ronald Reagan, defends Richard Nixon to the end, and, uh, you know, even when the evidence is plain to everyone. But he'll, you know, sort of see this narrative well and say, you know, well, um, give him the electric chair without due process, right? Yeah. And, you know, within the frame of the Republicans, Brett Kavanaugh is a good guy. It's this business he kept on going back to when he started moaning and whining and mewling about how, you know, he was first in his class and he goes to church and how hard he practiced at basketball. It was all these kind of bizarro land kind of cultural signifiers. And beer. Um, he drinks and, beer. You know, he, drinks, he drinks beer. Don't you drink beer? You know? don't, don't you drink beer? Well, and, you know, and that was one of the things he kept on interrupting with. If you had staged a screenplay to make Democratic Solons look like pushovers, he just kept on interrupting and interrupting and interrupting and not letting them finish their sentences, and they just kind of let him do it. And um, that was just extremely, extremely disconcerting. You know, no strategy, no coordination. When uh, the Watergate hearings happened, you know, there was a Republican senator named Lowell Weicker. You know, he was a liberal. Oh, yeah. You know, he was he was really kind of on um, Nixon's case, and he was one of the good guys. But he literally funded his own independent investigation mm. of Watergate. That's mm. how you know kind of dedicated he was. Instead, there's all this kind of, oh my God, we don't have the FBI. We can't figure this stuff out. You know, the Washington Post, while the hearing was going on, figured out that there was a there was a denotation on his calendar on July first, nineteen eighty two that completely fit the facts that Dr. Ford had uh, presented that uh, caught him in a lie because he said he never partied on a, except on a weekend, but he was going over to skis for brewskis on a Thursday night. And that was only mentioned, you know, within the last, like, you know, minute by Kamala Harris. You're an expert on the history of conservatism. The interesting thing here is that uh, for people like Susan Collins and, and Jeff Flake, they had thought of Kavanaugh as a Bush Republican, part of Bush one. He made a big deal about how much, how hard he worked in the Bush White House. Today he came out full Trump, hot, angry, outraged, which is what Trump wanted him to do. Well, but, it's, it's kind of like that's that's sort of the frame that we've kind of been developing to understand the entire Trump phenomenon, isn't it? Which is just that it's it's it's. You know, everything that's kind of, kind of course is just barely beneath the surface of the Republican facade of gentility with, you know, kind of the id on the outside instead of the yeah. inside. Yeah. Right? Very good way of and, putting it. And, uh, you know, behind, you know, every polite Bush Republican is, uh, you know, kind of a Trump kind of feral beast just waiting to get out is what it seems. And it's interesting that mostly their strategy was not to attack Christine Blasey Ford. At least they were able to... Yeah, they were that intelligent. Stay, they were intelligent enough not to do that and to blame it all on, on the Democrats for... Well, it was all blamed on Dianne Feinstein, who, it all on you know, like, yeah, also, like, right in the last inning, you know, finally, you know, had the wit to kind of defend herself. Yeah. Saying, I didn't leak this thing. I mean, it was, it was just the old South Park Chewbacca defense. They just put a bunch of BS out there and the stuff that somehow the Democrats had of are responsible for, you know, leaking her name and putting her out there in the public, which, you know, there were so many angles to, 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 to shut down that line of attack, but the Democrats were completely unprepared for it because, again, it just fell outside the norms of senatorial courtesy and conduct. 
they didn't pin it on Blasey Ford, but they did pin it on Feinstein. That's something, you know, that, that that's pretty sexist, too. And let's talk about, speaking of sexism, let's talk about the Republicans bringing in the uh, female assistant to do the questioning. So we heard over and over again, Miss Mitchell for Senator Cruz. This is something right. we don't usually see in uh, in, in Senate committee hearings. Well, I think that, that happened during Watergate, but that was because the, the, there was just so much kind of technical stuff right. going on, and there was so much stuff to keep right. straight, and it really took a professional mind to do it. But this but, was not that. But eventually, especially, especially once, uh, once Kavanaugh himself was on the stand, they kind of kicked her aside. We don't need a female assistant anymore. We'll, we'll take over well, now. Yeah, isn't that interesting? They only had to kind of do the, do the hard forensic work of getting to the truth when the woman was up there. You know, when the guy was up there, he could say whatever he wanted. So the political question here is, Kavanaugh comes out hot and Trumpian, angry, yelling, conspiracy theories, Clearly, this works with the White House. This works with the Republican base. This this uh, works for Lindsey Graham. Does this work for Susan Collins? This has worked for Lisa Murkowski. What's going to happen when this gets to the to the Senate floor? Or is it even possible Jeff Flake will vote against this and it will never even make it to the to the Senate floor? What's your sense at this hour? Well, no, John, they don't call him Flake for nothing, right? <laughs> I read his book. He's got a little sadism in, in him too. But, you know, who knows? I'm not much of a handicapper. Okay. Uh, you know, he could squeak through, uh, you know, at the expense of just more rage from, you know, women at the Republican Party. But as I heard it pointed out the other day, you can only lose a voter once. You know, they've lost and, and written off college-educated, quote-unquote, suburban, white, middle-class women. And so they might as well shore up everyone else that they have. You know, well, like there's no one else left to lose. Yeah, know? everyone else they have, though. I mean, the base, the base is what thirty, thirty-five percent, or something like that. It, it is, uh, you know, off your motivation-based election. You know, and I don't even want to go down to the road of, you know, once the the S hits the fan, you know, the base is the one who has the guns. Yeah. Well, let's let's stay away from that at the time. For the time being, let, let me shift the subject to whether Kavanaugh will ever be able to coach uh, girls' uh, uh, soccer, girls' basketball again. One I, of, I wouldn't let him. If I had a daughter, I wouldn't <laughs> let him be near her. Uh, I mean, I, it, if, if he gets on the Supreme Court, the, the delegitimation of the Supreme Court as any kind of honest broker, I mean, I just don't see how it could even happen, even the fiction of it. You know, I mean, so aligned. You know, I mean, one of the things that I found frustrating about almost like previous Supreme Court kabuki theater hearings is that, you know, you have to kind of pretend that you're this kind of open-minded, you know, high-minded jurist. And now suddenly, the, the, the once more, as, as is the case with so much in Trump land, the facade has been ripped off. The actual partisan nature of the institution is, is going to be revealed for all to see. And uh, that's ugly business. That's very, very ugly business, especially with this five to four majority uh, with so much hanging on the line. The facade has been ripped off. Historian Rick Perlstein on today's historic hearing of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Rick, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. I'm John Wiener here in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK with Trump Watch and the TrumpWatchPodcast.com. Next up... More analysis of today's events with Sarah Posner. That's in a minute when Trump Watch continues. Same old story, 
This is Trump Watch on KPFK. And on the line, we have Sarah Posner. She's an award-winning investigative journalist at the Nation Institute's iFund. She writes mostly on the intersection of religion and politics. Uh, she's written for Rolling Stone, The New Republic, Mother Jones, lots of other places. And she's the author of the book, God's Prophets, Faith, Fraud, and the Republican Crusade for Values Voters. Sarah Posner, welcome back. Hi, how are you, John? Oh, I'm tired. How about you? Yes. <laughs> well, this has been an incredible historic day in America Let's start at the beginning of today's events. What did you think of Christine Blasey Ford uh, and her uh, hours before the cameras today? Well, what was remarkable about Ford's testimony was just how earnest and believable and down-to-earth and just completely credible and forceful she was. She was not angry. She didn't cry. She didn't yell at anybody. And she basically told her story and explained exactly why this is seared in her memory and why, you know, certain details of that evening, such as how she got home from the house where she was assaulted, that, you know, she can't remember. So she had done, like, an incredibly compelling, convincing job. And I think the Republicans had very little to work with, which is why we saw the angry outburst from yeah. Kavanaugh with his turn. Yeah, to me, the most powerful answer she gave was when she was asked about when she was asked about her strongest memory of the event. She said what she remembered was quote the laughter, them having fun at my expense. Close quote. And she she choked up a little bit at that point. And it was hard not to choke up uh, ourselves at that point. I imagine millions of people across America had the same reaction. Right. I mean, because everybody knows what it's like to be mocked or made fun of by the popular, powerful kids in your school or in your social network. And she did say she used the word indelible Mm. or indelibly, you know, how that was indelibly seared in her mind, the feeling that she was being accosted, assaulted, and humiliated, and that they were laughing. And that was just, as you say, a, a truly remarkable moment, and you juxtapose that against Kavanaugh's interrupting of interrupting of senators questioning him, Kavanaugh's defenses that, well, you know, he couldn't have been a drinker because he got into Yale Law School, Kavanaugh's defenses that he couldn't yeah. have been a drinker because he was doing his football workouts and going to church and serving meals to the homeless. I mean, it was just, the juxtaposition was remarkable, but... In the age of Trump, Kavanaugh was being Trump. Yeah. He was blustering. He was yeah. lying. He was self-promoting. Every single approach that Kavanaugh took in the hearing was straight out of the Donald Trump, I'm an entitled guy playbook. Absolutely right. He Kavanaugh came out hot, angry, outraged. We know that that's what Trump wanted him to do. Trump had criticized his appearance uh, on Fox News for uh, being too too judicial uh, in his temperament and sticking to his talking points. So he came out yelling, defiant. Certainly this works for Trump's base. Does this work for Susan Collins? Does this work for Lisa Murkowski? And does this work for the millions of Americans who are uh, watching on TV? That's the question tonight. 
Well, I think the real question is about the Republican senators, because regardless of what the American people think, yes. it's the senators that are going to decide yes. whether he is confirmed to the Supreme Court. And none of them have given us any reason why we should believe that they're going to vote no on Kavanaugh. None of them. In fact, it seemed pretty evident today that the White House and Republican leadership are intent on moving this forward. Why do you think Lindsey Lindsey Graham was angrily uh, addressing reporters in the hallways of the Senate today? Why do you think he gave that, you know, impassioned, angry soliloquy during Kavanaugh's part of the hearing today? He was performing for Trump just like Kavanaugh was. And there's no reason like there's what have Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Jeff Flake or Ben Sass actually done beyond their lip service to being concerned about the tone or the civility or what have you. They've done nothing. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kavanaugh is voted out of committee tomorrow and confirmed next week by the entire Senate because those supposed fence-sitters or swing votes or moderate Republicans or however you want to call them – they haven't given us any evidence that this is going to be troubling for them. And it's very clear that the White House was enlisting Republican senators to get on board. They could. I mean, they're they're out, especially for Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. They don't have to say, I think the guy is a liar. I think he's a, a he's guilty of the crime. They could just say, since we have a he said, she said situation, we need more information. We would like to uh, reopen the background check. And so in voting, no, we, we just want to reopen the investigation. We're not saying anything about his qualifications. That is something they could do and that they have left themselves open to in their uncommittal statements that they've made up to today. You're not optimistic about that. Simple answer. Would you like me to filibuster and, and talk <laughs> No. Uh, let's talk some more about the, the other great moment I thought was Kamala Harris, who said what, what other uh, Democrats picked up, you're not on trial here. Your goal was to, persu- was to get the White House to nominate someone else just because Judge Kavanaugh did this to you. That's why you reached out uh, to your uh, member, member of Congress before Kavanaugh was nominated, you were not part of the revenge squad conspiring uh, to take over the Supreme Court. You took a polygraph. Kavanaugh did not. You asked for more witnesses to be interviewed. Kavanaugh did not. You asked for an FBI investigation. Kavanaugh did not. And Christine Blasey Ford, you know, I think she was maybe sobbing a little bit at that point. I think that's, you know, that's That's true. All that is true. Well, I think what became quite evident over the course of the day is that Ford and the Democrats want to shine more sunlight onto all of this, and the Republicans and Kavanaugh do not. And I think it's a very important point going to the point of Kavanaugh's accusation that the Democrats were out to get him and that this was some kind of conspiracy to undermine him and to seek revenge on behalf of the Clintons and so on. You know, and he was careful to say, I'm not accusing Dr. Ford of that, I'm just accusing the Democrats of that. But the truth is, how does that how does that accusation, like despite his protestations, how does that accusation not rub off on her? But you're right. You know, she was trying to sort of preempt this, like maybe I can bring this to people's attention once I've seen that Kavanaugh is on Trump's shortlist and maybe 
Trump will end up nominating somebody else, and then we'll all be spared all of this. Of course, that didn't happen. But I think that this this sunlight question is just so crucially important because I think that if you are innocent, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want your buddy Mark Judge to come forward and testify on your behalf? Would is it because he would be perjuring himself to say that he's he wasn't in the room when this happened? I mean, there, I think it raises more questions than it answers that they're trying to avoid having more light shined or more investigative light shined on on all of this. But I, I also want to say that as good as some of the Democrats' performance today was, they really fell down in not asking Kavanaugh about this Ed Whalen tweet thread where he basically came up with this cockamamie theory based on floor plans yes. and Zillow um, that their friend from Georgetown Prep was really the one who did it. Now, Ford said in no uncertain terms that she knew it wasn't the friend from Georgetown Prep because she'd actually gone out with that guy right. and they're friends and, you know, she's 100% sure that it was not that guy. Well, why wasn't Kavanaugh asked? He and Whalen are, you know, known to be at least in the same, you know, legal slash social circles. You know, why wasn't he asked what he thought about that, whether he played any role in it, whether he gave any information to Kavanaugh in creating that tweet thread? Nobody brought that up. Nobody brought that up. Sarah Posner of the Nation Institute iPhone, thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's Trump Watch. I want to thank my guests, uh, Rick Perlstein and Sarah Posner. Thanks to our producer, Renee Reynolds. Thanks to our producer for today's show, D'Angelo Jones. We'll be back next week with another episode of Trump Watch, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.